Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the podcast, we welcome portfolio manager Sri Tella as he discusses his outlook on the fixed income market, whether investors should consider adjusting the risk profile of their portfolios, and the extent to which Canada is grappling with the same part of the ongoing inflation story as the United States. On the fixed income side, Shri explains to host Pamela Ritchie that issuance has generally been down in Canada, fueling the strength of the Canadian market. Strategies like tactical mandates, reduce exposure to the broader market, and placing focus on companies with strong fundamentals all help to balance risk and return. From a growth and economic perspective, Canada looks good to international investors, and there continues to be demand for high-quality fixed income in markets. Shri describes how demand has shifted into the service sector as the market for goods has declined post-pandemic due to higher prices. High savings rates are fueling consumer spending in both Canada and the United States, with Canada's inflation coming down to around 4%. Towards the latter half of the year, the Bank of Canada is forecasting a 3% inflation rate, which remains high by historical industry standards. Turning to the debt ceiling, Shri says that investor concern is primarily related to the possibility of short-term volatility in the market. He is confident that a deal will be reached, but whether it will be reached on time remains uncertain. This podcast was recorded on May 24, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So we're paying attention to interest rates. We're paying attention to the inflation story. Has it settled yet? The market would tell you definitely not. Um, we've seen some heightened volatility over the last little while. And, and you know, there's been this big tug of war between two factions in the market, you know, whether we're at peak rates or whether there's more rate hikes to go, the battle between is inflation going to continue to, to be a problem or are we on the uh, precipice of hitting a fairly significant recession? And so you've seen a lot of volatility in rates. You know, we saw the notion of hitting peak rates at, at one point and, uh, you know, we saw started to see some cracks in the market that led to a flight to quality rally in bond yields. But then now, as those have settled down and data has come in much stronger than expected, um, there's now been renewed talk about further rate hikes, even from the Bank of Canada, which most people thought was on hold for an extended period of time. What is sort of the argument for the fact that we've actually absorbed this incredible year of, of hikes reasonably well? And another, I mean, I don't know, who knows, it would be 100 basis points or it would be much less than that. Like... We're already here. Is it is it going to crack things to go another little bit further? I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, I guess the big difference being, you know, we've come a long way. And so you would expect that what's been done to date is really going to be the most impactful. So 
that's another 25, 50 basis points on the margin. That's probably not going to be a huge impact. However, that being said, it sends a message to the markets, right, that the Bank of Canada is serious about inflation and it, and it kind of keeps things more stable. I think what's definitely it has had an impact on is that we had this period earlier this year where people were expecting rate cuts in the second half of this year. Now the market no longer is pricing in rate cuts for the second half of this year. There's still a little bit of um, lower rates priced in for early next year, but I think what the next few hikes will do will kind of send a message. If they happen, we'll send a message that rates are going to stay higher for longer, which will uh, have an impact on, on setting future expectations and slowing, potentially slowing things down. Why do you think the market is so determined to say there are going to be cuts still? Well, I think if you think about Canada specifically, obviously there's a lot of vulnerabilities in the market. Canadian consumer is highly levered, uh, very levered towards housing. And so mortgage rates play a big role and higher rates really have an impact. And we did start to see that earlier this year with housing markets slowing down and uh, home prices uh, declining. Uh, that being said, though, as we've had a reprieve in rates from the peak, uh, we started to see housing stabilize a little bit and, and prices starting to tick back up again. And so, so I think that, you know, I think that the, the sensitivity of um, Canadian consumers to higher interest rates is high, which is why I think people were expecting the economy to have uh, to take a bigger hit. That being said, I think there's a couple things countering that. One, we're not seeing the full impact. Yes, people's mortgages, mortgage rates have gone up, but you really won't see the full impact to the broader consumer over, until over the next couple of years as mortgages start to reset. The second thing has been a really robust labor market, record levels of immigration. And if you look at last year, Canada's population grew by over a million people, which was compared to a prior run rate of uh, only about 350,000 pre-pandemic. And so uh, immigration is really fueling population growth and, and demand for housing and, uh, and goods and, and providing support to the labor market as well, because a lot of those immigrants are coming in with uh, our economic immigrants. What does it say ultimately for the fight against inflation? I mean, again, it'll be pointed to the travelers seems to be strong in the U.S. We saw the services side of things and numbers coming through on on PMI services very strong. Then we saw manufacturing ticking down. How, to what extent is, is Canada grappling with the same parts of the inflation story versus the United States? Generally, we're seeing some of the same things in terms of, you know, there's been a shift as um, goods demand has declined post-pandemic due to higher prices. We are seeing some of that demand shift into services. And also high savings rates in both countries are fueling consumer spending, though those savings rates are declining. And so those are things to watch for going forward. But what I will say is that I think when we think about um, inflation and you look at where we were, at, you know, north of 8% in Canada, and we've come down quite a bit now in the mid fours, I think the next leg is really the tricky part in terms of bringing inflation down. So the Bank of Canada is forecasting a 3% inflation rate uh, towards the later half of this year. And even that's still high by Bank of Canada standards at the higher end of their range. And so, you know, just base effects and math alone warrants means that inflation is going to be falling from the peak because of where we were. But that being said, 
the, to get it back to the 2% range is going to be a bit of a challenge. And we're seeing the same thing both in the U.S. and Canada, that inflation is coming down significantly. However, it's still going to be sticky above sort of the comfort ranges of both the Bank of Canada and the Fed. So the, the inflation call is really still, it's still hard to make, as you say. I mean, it still hasn't settled. How much money is coming into fixed income at the moment? I mean, we've been seeing quite a bit of demand, both from uh, on the retail side as well as institutional money, especially institutional money. When you look at where rates are now, all in yields on on a variety of different uh, types of fixed income mandates, look at where uh, credit spreads are and look at that versus historical levels. We're at very attractive levels if you think about the long history um, you know, rates are I think in their, since the financial crisis are in their, uh, in the, their 90th percentiles, where credit spreads in Canada are actually more attractive than they are in the U.S., but we're at the widest levels we've been at outside of crisis periods historically. Um, so there is a lot of interest in fixed income, and we're seeing a lot of money come in. That being said, the outlook is still very cloudy and uncertain, so it does still warrant some caution. But that being said, I think you're being compensated for a lot of that risk right now. So treasuries are supposed to be super vanilla. They're not vanilla right now. This all has to do, well, a lot of it has to do with the debt ceiling at the moment. Um, the front end, particularly right now, that that is the story. Should investors be worried about the debt ceiling? I think the concern around the debt ceiling really more is to surround short-term volatility in the markets. I think most people believe, and, and I would agree with it, that ultimately a deal will be reached, whether it's reached on time or what kind of deal is reached it is, is up in the air and there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, we just had a research team meet with a number of officials in Washington, D.C., and depending on who they spoke to, there were varying degrees of, of opinions on, on what the outlook outcome will be like. So you don't so, know any you know, more than we do, actually? No, I wish I wish I did. Um, I mean, and the uh, and the markets definitely don't because they seem to trade from headline to headline uh, on a regular basis. So it would be great if anybody has insights. I'd love to hear them. But again, I, I think regardless, I think it's really more of a concern on a shorter term basis. At the end of the day, the U.S. government is not going to default on its debt. So it's really just uh, what happens over the next, uh, you know, I guess as soon as the next couple of weeks. So how does Canada look to the global investor at this stage? So you, you've outlined a number of the different things that, that we're grappling with. The inflation story is, is a global story, obviously. Canada, on a relative basis, looks how, do you think, to various investors? Yeah, I think to international investors, I think Canada generally, from a growth perspective and, um, and economically, looks relatively good. I mean, Canada's leading the G7 in, in growth and or in population growth, and, and just its economy is, is right up at the top of the list. But that being said, I think externally, the vulnerabilities of Canada are, get what, are what get publicized. So the, the very uh, unaffordable housing market vulnerable consumer and the debt levels. And so I think that leads to some caution in, the, in, in terms of the, the outlook for international investors. But that being said, when you look at it alongside North American markets generally are, are viewed favorably right now. And so, um, so I think there is continues to be demand for high quality fixed income in energy. Where do you see at this point, again, still inflation 
not entirely under control at all. Fiscal spending at this point is, I mean, there are those that say any fiscal spending obviously is doing the reverse of what the Bank of Canada is attempting to do, we think. How do you land on that? Like, is it okay to do some extra fiscal spending at this point? We've been through what we've been through. What, what do you think about that? Or does it really have to be pared back, which is exactly the discussion going on in D.C. right now? Yeah, I mean, I guess when we have an environment that we've just come through over the last year plus, or probably even longer than that, where fiscal finances have been in really good shape, we've come off of, you know, excessive spending and and sort of government revenues, both at the provincial and federal level, have, have improved and, and uh, borrowing requirements have dropped. I think that's usually a period of time where you want to be saving more money for a rainy day. And uh, especially given the strength of the economy, I think, you know, that is warranted. That being said, we live in a very political world. And when you have consumers sort of concerned about how much it's costing them to, to buy food and and looking at a potential slowdown coming up or people, you know, not being able to afford houses, et cetera. I think that, uh, you know, we're going to see fiscal spending increase, especially because governments are in a position of strength right now. You know, whether it's the right time to do it, it is, I agree, that is questionable. But but you're starting to see it even in the provinces uh, now that, that fiscal spending over the last, in the last budget ticked up. So, so let's dig into that a little bit. You, you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a lot of money flowing into fixed income. There's demand. Are we going to see a lot of issuance? Where does issuance stand for the provinces, but, but, but also at the federal level? Generally, issuance has been down in Canada. And I think that's part of the, the thing that's been fueling the strength of Canadian fixed income generally. You know, there's a lot of money coming into fixed income and, uh, and looking for a place to, to be put, invested. And, uh, you know, the provinces, because of their fiscal strength, have cut their funding for their borrowing requirements. Um, the federal government has been cutting spending on longer dated 10 and 30 year government bonds. Um, and corporate issuance is down as well, especially because um, more so Canada has historically been dominated by Canadian banks funding in the Canadian market. They issued a lot the last couple of years. And uh, this year, their funding needs have been uh, much lower. And so a lot of that is uh, creating a technical is creating technical strength in the, in the Canadian fixed income markets. And, and actually, going back to your point about or going back to the point about rate cuts being priced in. When we talk to most investors, most people in the market, no one really believed that the central banks would be cutting rates later this year. A lot of it seemed to be, uh, the market pricing seemed to really center around uh, the demand for fixed income, keeping rates low. And so, um, so there was a bit of a disconnect between what people were expecting, sort of truly anecdotally versus what was being priced in the market. And I think those technicals are really Part of what was driving that, right? For sure. Question rolling in here about the yield curve. What it's what it's indicating at this point? It's been inverted for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone talks about how an inverted yield curve, especially at the levels that we've seen over the last little while, uh, point to a recession coming down the road. Um, and I think that that's still a a possibility. I think the really the debate is: is it just a, a mild slowdown, or is it know, a big hard landing. You know, I would say based on everything we're seeing right now, and assuming that rates don't get ratcheted up significantly higher by the central banks, 
you know, we're probably looking more towards a soft landing because corporate fundamentals are still looking pretty good overall. Um, that being said, the yield curve, it's interesting. I looked at that this morning because I knew there'd probably be questions on it. And, and same with rates. If you look at rates and the yield curve, we're exactly pretty much in the middle of the range that we've been in over the last year, which kind of goes back to this whole point about the tug of war between two sides of the market. You know, we're trading uh, 10-year rates and, and most more so 10-year rates, but also two-year rates are kind of in the middle of their range over the last number of months. The yield curve is uh, for Canada is pretty much right in the middle of the U.S. as well. And so, um, so it really does tell you that there's a lot of uncertainty and we're kind of in the keep getting pulled. And that's why we're getting pulled by data one day to the next. And I think that, you know, going back to the point about yields and spreads being attractive, I think that does warrant being in a, in fixed income, but having some sort of dry powder and, and having some caution out there, given that, you know, there's a possibility for us to move in either direction. To go in either direction. Okay, so so let's talk a little bit about that, maybe in the tactical bond, but, you know, whichever side, but just the ability to kind of roll with things. People have been actually talking about the fixed income portion of their portfolio, I think, more. I mean, you tell me, but as I understand it for the last sort of six months, even even longer, uh, getting more and more interested in that. Is, is it too late to get in? I mean, how, how do you look at this? We see interest rates... They've risen to where they've gotten to. Which parts of this still look really appealing ultimately to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess the way, the best way to answer that is to think about how we're positioning in our portfolios. So the, 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 at, a, at a high level, the way I describe it to people is that given where yields and spreads are, you don't have to take a lot of risk in a portfolio to have a good return from fixed income. So we've actually de-risked our portfolios, but that being said, we still have overweights to, to, to corporate bonds to uh, in, in, in the strategies that can, like tactical, like the tactical mandate, we can we have exposure to high yield and leverage loans, but not quite as high as we used to. But interestingly enough, the yields still look attractive compared to where when we had more risk a year ago because of where rates and spreads were on a relative basis. And so even though we have lower risk, the return profile looks much better. Um, that being said, because of the caution we have, we've kind of reduced exposure to sort of broader market, and we're focusing more on specific companies and specific names that have catalysts to improve or that have very strong fundamentals. Just as an example, you know, the financials have actually been hit hard because of what's gone on in the U.S. and, and with Credit Suisse. And, and, you know, but longer term, Canadian banks are still very good. As it was still a very good sector to be, and spreads are relatively attractive. So that's an area that we like. If you look at the energy sector, you know, at $70 oil, most of the companies in that space are doing well, even if it was to drop to 50 and even maybe $40, given what happened over the last number of years with the energy sector, a lot of those firms are in good shape. So, and in fact, you've seen a lot of upgrades, especially on U.S. companies, from uh, high double B names that have gotten into investment. I think that sector's seen a lot of upgrades over the last number of months. So, so we're looking for specific names and, and sectors that have catalysts to to perform well, even in a in a in a weak uh, market environment. When we just go back to the low interest rate environment that it was for for you know over a decade, has everything kind of reset in terms of 
people taking risk? I mean, have those clouds cleared a little bit? Are people pricing risk more appropriately? I would say that they are. And the best example of that is um, is what happened in March when you're looking, we'll look at what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse and, and in the financial space. You know, this may be getting a little bit into the weeds, but in Canada, you know, Canada also, the Canadian banks issue uh, AT1 securities, which is sort of the similar part of the capital structure on the Credit Suisse bonds that got wiped out. Do you want to just uh, explain that, that where, where basically the equity holders were, were kind of at the top yeah, of the so, heap rather than the bond? Yeah, so in the credits, yeah, in the Credit Suisse situation, so it's basically junior subordinated debt that had clauses where the basically the regulator could come in and wipe out that part of the capital structure in the event of some regulatory event or government intervention, which is what happened. Now, typically, when you're in, in debt, you would assume that the equity holders get wiped out before you do. But because of this specific clause in the Credit Suisse bonds, the regulator was actually able to get, basically wipe out the, the that level, that part of the capital structure while equity holders still got some value out of the transaction. And so that kind of caught the bond markets generally off guard, even though it was contractually written into the documentation. Now, when you look at Canada, for example, Canada doesn't have that issue. And even OSCE came out and, and stated that they would respect the hierarchy of, of bondholders and that equity holders would have to take a hit first. And But that being said, that part of the capital structure, those securities still performed very poorly. And, and my argument was it's not a concern over the it's not a concern about the banks and their ability to pay off the, that debt. It's really more about a repricing of risk. People weren't pricing that risk appropriately. It was overpriced. And therefore, what we had was a big, in March, we had a big repricing of different parts of the capital structure, different sectors of the market. And so I think a lot of the pricing now does reflect that. Now, that being said, I think you have to be cognizant of which markets you're talking about, because like I said, Canada has actually lagged the U.S. market in terms of uh, credit spread moves. And so I think in Canada, things look more attractive than they do, for example, in U.S. investment grade and even high yield for that matter. But um, but at the same time, you have to think about what yield levels look like, like in high yield and, and, and so on. And so, so, yeah, I do think that risks are being priced in more appropriately. But that being said, given volatility, the market will always overreact in both directions. So there's a possibility that risk gets cheaper or it gets better. And that ultimately being, well, being the size that, that you have in order to, to take, I mean, you can, you can take that volatility and make it into quite an opportunity. People are jumpy for sure. Yes. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that we've kind of kept the risk lower in our funds, uh, even though we still have uh, attractive uh, return profile. We want to be able to take advantage of that volatility. And when we see that, that's when we look to add exposure to our funds. And especially because we're in this range right now, it creates a lot of good opportunity because we can add as things become a little more volatile and as things stabilize and settle down, then we kind of go back to reducing a risk profile again. So it's, uh, I guess it's a much more active market now than sort of uh, positioning a portfolio more statically over a longer period of time. So can you tell us broadly how, how each of the, the funds that you that you manage are positioned? Just give us some of the nuts and bolts. 
Yes. Yeah, so I think broadly, you know, if we look at our credit risk exposure, so from a we do from an interest rate exposure, we generally stay pretty neutral to the benchmark. But we are, you know, if we had to pick a, a one side or the other, we as as rates have been increasing, we've been looking to add a little bit of duration in the funds because um, we do think ultimately, as as we hit the peak of of central bank uh, rate hikes, we'll start to see rates come back down a little bit. So that's what we're kind of targeting sort of medium to longer term. Uh, in terms of our credit exposure, we've become a little more defensive. We have a little bit more waiting to provincial bonds because of the issuance profile. And we are kind of being careful about that going forward. As I mentioned, fiscal spending is going higher. So that's something we are watching for there. Um, but then on the credit side, as I mentioned earlier, we were favoring financials, for example. But our, if you look at our historical exposure to corporate bonds, we're at the lower end of our historical ranges. Um, and we're focusing more so on specific names, as I mentioned, that we like, that have good, good cash flow fundamentals, stable businesses, and, uh, and limited issuance needs. So we think that's kind of where we want to be uh, more broadly exposed. In terms of our funds that have a little bit more of a risk appetite, we have reduced our exposure to uh, to high yield and non-investment grade categories. But given the where the yields are, we still want to keep some of that exposure. But again, we're positioning to, to be able to add risk as, uh, as volatility increases. And it is increasing, it appears. Sritella, thank you yes. very, very much for joining us. Um, really great to hear sort of behind the scenes, how you're looking at things and grappling things and ultimately positioning. Um, hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.